Welcome to the Women's Bible Study Podcast, a ministry of Sheridan House. We continue today in the series Reflection, a study of Philippians. If you missed any part of this series, you can find it and others online at sheridanhouse.org backslash WBS. We hope you enjoy today's lesson. Welcome back. Yay. <clears throat> and Happy New Year. And um, it is just so fun to see everybody here. Do we have any new ladies? I think we have a couple new ladies. <gasps> Yay, welcome. We won't make you stand up and all that kind of thing. We will give her the, the test for the homework afterwards, so don't you think? <laughs> just kidding. Anyway, just wonderful. Any more new? Did I miss anybody? Yay, yay. How are you? Um, so it is just joyful to meet, um, have you all here. And... Um, We just have been, you know, the the book of Philippians, we're going to be repeating a lot of the things that we learned this fall. So, uh, you know, I feel like we don't even have to recap because the whole book itself is kind of a recap. He he wonderfully goes over and over the things that um, we need to know about finding joy in our life and choosing joy and choosing not to worry. And boy, that song, do you do this ever? Uh, two o'clock in the morning, bing. Oh my goodness. Okay. If I do this and that will happen, but if I don't do that, then I'll do this and I'll try that. And this four o'clock in the morning, uh, maybe I can finally go to sleep. How many of of you, please tell me. Yes. Oh, is it a woman thing or is it a human thing? Maybe a little of both. I don't know. But, um, you know, this is what God is saying to us. Trust me. I mean, goodness sake. If he can get a gingerbread house, cookie gingerbread house, to a little boy, does he not care about the big things that we're worried about? About our deep concerns, the things that we really are bringing before him? Anyway, all that to say, as we begin this new year, this new decade, we're living in an increasingly challenging time to keep our attitudes in check, don't you think? To keep those New Year's, quote, resolutions, unquote. Me, in my life, I have a friend that last year challenged me. She said, you need to pick, Rosemary, a word or concept. Pray about it and see if God, and ask him to give you a word or a concept to kind of focus on all year. Don't just come up with it, just pray about it. And so this year, the first word, and I've had two, year, two words every year, which is kind of interesting. Maybe I need more work or something. What do you think? But anyway, um, the first year this year was self-control. And I thought, okay, Lord, that's really appropriate after the 14 pounds. This skirt used to be loose on me, can I quickly say to you? But um, anyway, self-control, but not just in that area, but in all areas of my life, you know, like... Um, attitudes and thought processes and getting up at two o'clock in the night and going through the thingies and all those kinds of things. Attitudes, all of it. The other word that was interesting in concept that I felt like the Lord really placed on my heart this year is fearless. And I thought, you know what, Lord, there is so much to fear out there. There is so much going on. Our society is reflecting such rage and disharmony, and I think part of that is fear. And as believers, I don't want to be filled with fear. I want to get my mind focusing on the one that is taking care of these things. 
so as we reflect on this dramatic lessons that we have been learning and will learn, may we never forget who Paul was originally. And I think that was in your homework, to think about it. He was a hate-filled, power-driven, determined to stomp out Christianity man. And when we compare who he was before he met the Lord Jesus and who he became, it is amazing. And I think that's probably one of the best proofs of his authenticity of his message is his own conversion and how much he changed in his life as he you know, uh, embraced the things from scripture. And so in this passage, he gives a strong warning about not getting off base about something that is truly important, a great focus for a new year. This is a great place for every one of us to be, whether we're struggling with something or whether we're not, or if, if it's this is the best year ever yet, or whatever it is, to get our focus on this particular thing that he's going to talk to us about in this lesson and really throughout the book of Philippians. Paul repeats himself with an important message. Matthew Henry, the great commentator, said this, the joy of the Lord will arm us against the assaults of our spiritual enemies and put our mouths out of taste for those pleasures which the tempter baits his hooks. Isn't that good? And I'm so glad that it's in your book so that you can look at that again and say, let me just ponder that a little bit. And this passage really exemplifies that that concept here look with me i know your bibles are already open but look with me on your, or your bible app or on your phone or whatever it is you use philippians 3 verse 1 finally my brothers rejoice in the lord to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you in other words he's saying hey i've said this to to you before but guess what i'm saying it again because not only is it good for you it is good for me to say these words to you. So he is saying, A, on your outline, choose joy in spite of circumstances. Choose joy instead in spite of circumstances. He is saying, no matter the situation, no matter what you're dealing with, choose to adopt an attitude of joy, whether you're dealing with persecution, whether you're working on unity, maybe there's um, a woundedness, hurts, maybe some, some health issues, maybe some family dynamics that are difficult. He says, whatever you're dealing with, choose joy. It is a choice. We can't just conjure it up and come up with it, most of us. But uh, anyway, so he's saying, choose it. Whatever you resolve, whatever you resolve is about heading into this new year, whatever you're dealing with, in spite of it, our stance is to be one of joy. Now, how in the world do we do that? That sounds wonderful. Oh, boy, do I want to embrace that. Boy, do I need to choose joy. Good. Thank you, uh, Paul, for that. Um, thank you, Holy Spirit, for putting that on his mind so that we could do those things. But how in the world, when we're dealing with some of the woundedness and the pain and the, all the things that we deal with, how in the world do we do that? How do we find the attitude of joy? Well, he tells us, B, on your outline, joy is based on the Lord. Joy is based on the, the, the Lord. Now, Paul has certainly said that before. He even admits it in that first verse there. Um, he, number one, he is repeating 
the, re the repetition of a truth is a good thing. You know, have you ever thought to yourself, um, when your husband or uh, significant whoever, children or whatever, says, oh, mom, I love you so much, or honey, I love you so much, do you love that? And you think, boy, I just wish, could you say that like five times a day? You know, or your grandchildren, or whatever it is. And you, you love those expressions. And when it's repeated, it's so incredibly meaningful. So repetition of truth is a good thing. Do you know that the word joy or rejoice is mentioned 14 times in the 30 verses of Philippians? That's almost half of the verses, isn't it? Fifth, 14 times in 30 verses. I think it's an important concept to the Apostle Paul, and I think it's an important concept to us, don't you think? Joy in Jesus and learning how uh, to practically do that, what it means is an ongoing quest. It's something that we're going to work on all the way through our lives. There are going to be days when we do a little bit better. There are going to be days when we say, oh, Lord, the joy thing didn't work real well. So help me today. And um, so it's an ongoing quest. It's not a once and for all. Okay, I got it. I got joy. I am rejoicing. I'm done with that lesson. I can move on to the next one. No, it's a constant, ongoing learning process. It's a maturing process. We continue to grow in our understanding of how and why we can and should choose joy in every situation. Number two, repetition of truth can bring fresh meaning. Haven't you noticed that? Maybe you've heard a biblical concept over and over and over again. And then all of a sudden you meet it in your Bible during devos in the morning or you hear it at church or something like that and you go, oh my goodness, that's right. I've heard that over and over and then all of a sudden a light turns on. And so repeating a truth is, uh, it, it can be bring fresh meaning like, okay, that's what you're saying, Lord. So we can apply it in a new way because Perhaps we are in a different set of circumstances. So, wow, okay, have joy, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. That can have on a whole new meaning as we go through different phases of our life. Repetition number three of truth keeps us from cultural thinking. And boy, has there ever been a time when cultural uh, thinking is all over the place out there. You know, all you have to do is um, I have the app, Fox News app. And <clears throat> I started, you know, it's kind of like I'm drinking my cup of coffee, trying to wake up in the morning. I'm not a morning person, you know that. And I'm just drinking my coffee. I'll just turn and look at Fox News, see what's going on. Oh, my goodness. I've had to fast it for the last couple of weeks because you, you're just bombarded. Even with the conservative, you know, news source like Fox News, we're bombarded with cultural thinking. And so we need to be very careful. And when we know biblical truth and we are grounded, grounded on that firm foundation, we aren't so seduced by cultural thinking. Paul is saying in this verse, I'm not embarrassed <laughs> to keep telling you the same wonderful story. In other words, the more I tell it, the more it will affect how you think and live. I'm going to say it over and over again to you, he says, because the more you hear it, the more it will be embraced into your life and the more you'll be able to choose these concepts, is what he's saying. And then next on your outline, Paul <coughs> issues 
a warning. Paul issues a warning. Look at verse 2. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Wow, that's some strong language, right? What in the world is he talking about? Wow. Number one, A, he describes those who are perverting the truth, who we are to be wary and watchful of when we hear these types of things. He's saying, be careful, because these are the, the things that war against your joy. These are the things that will fight against you having the kind of attitude that is um, uh, honoring to the Lord and which is appropriate for a woman who serves the Lord. Be careful. Here are the three kinds that he says. He describes them in three ways. Number one, first, the first kind that he's talking about is cultural thinking. We've just mentioned that a minute ago. And boy, does he not mince words, right? He says, look out for the dogs. Now, I'm not talking about sweet Sophie that comes up and sits on your lap, an angel, Pammy Corn. And, you know, we, during our group meeting, everybody's saying, oh, but my little puppy dog, you know. And, yeah, our, our little doggies are sweet pets, and I happen to be a cat person, and I feel the same way. And Bob is like, wow, what am I not meeting in your life that you love that cat so much? Wow. And um, we love our little pets. But this is not talking, yes, Zia Mora's little sweetheart. Yes, oh, look at, oh, boy. I, I, we have so many dog lovers in this room. It's just craziness. <laughs> well, let me quickly hasten to say to you that he was not talking about your sweet, lovely pets that you adore and love. He is talking about in the day, the dogs that he was talking about were horrible creature, dangerous, and they roamed in bands, and they would, um, in packs, and they would, they were scavengers, and they probably would have eaten my little kitty cat, and your little doggies, and all that, but anyway, they were scavengers, dangerous, dangerous uh, little creatures, and big creatures, and he is saying that those who travel in packs, like ravenous, dangerous dogs, and distort the truth and attempt to get us derailed, these are the dogs in our culture. These are the ones that, that take truth and pervert it in a way to try and get us off track. And he's saying, beware, be careful. Be careful of those dangerous dogs that will try and talk you into thinking like our culture thinks. Um, <clears throat> I've even noticed, have you ever noticed, even sometimes in children's programs and um, TV things, movies, that they're like, I'm like, what are you trying to get across here through that? What message are you trying to get across to small children's little minds? Wow, there are some dangerous dogs out there. That's the first kind, perverting the truth. Second one is through in, immoral character. The verse says, men who do evil. People who purposely create dis disorder and unbelief. He's talking to people who did evil purposely to undermine the principles of the gospel. And maybe you know somebody like that in your own life where they say, you're a Christian? Well, let's see how Christian you really are. And maybe throw out ideas of think, hey, it's tax season. Maybe we could, hmm, oh, you're a Christian, okay. Or how about somebody that undermines, maybe you just made a decision for Christ, and they say, oh, wow, 
you're going to start going with those weirdos to that church thing? I mean, really? And try and derail people who have made decisions for Christ. That's what he's talking about here. People, men who do evil, immoral character, trying to get people off the track of, of finding God and finding joy in their lives through the Lord Jesus. The next one, third, is through legalism. Legalism. He says, mutilators of the flesh. He is saying that those who piously thought that um, they have arrived at holiness through following certain rules and behaviors. Okay, you know, I've got my rules of don'ts and do's for Christianity. And as long as I stick very closely to those do's and don'ts, I'm good. I'm going to make God happy. And that's what he's talking about here, mutilators of the flesh, because he is saying that they were no better than the pagans who literally mutilated their bodies as a form of worship. And he's saying, when you feel like you have to go through a legalistic set of rules in your life to please God, you're like those pagans, you know, that put their children uh, on the arms of a burning idol as a form of worship. Oh, my goodness. And he's saying that is the same kind of thing. Empty rituals that have no meaning to them. It was like having a list of rules to follow to get in God's graces. How careful we need to do, be to analyze why we do certain things and not others. Are we just going through the motions? Or is that something that the Holy Spirit has put on our heart? Think it through. Analyze. What are you saying to me, Lord? He is not slamming rituals. He is saying... Um, uh, our, our hearts, we need to look into our hearts and respond, how we respond to um, uh, Jesus is the key. I'll, I'll never forget as a little girl, I, my parents were members of a very, um, I don't know what a good terminology is for it, but a certain denomination. And every time we'd get there, every Sunday morning, we'd say the Apostles' Creed, and um, I believe in God, Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, the only Son of the Lord, who was crucified, then blah, 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 blah. And the Lord's Prayer, you know, our Father who art in heaven, blah, 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 blah. And so by the time I was like probably nine or ten, I, you know, I'd sit down and go, okay, I believe in God, Father Almighty, and it just meant nothing. Because I'd said it over and over and over. Do you know what I'm talking about? But let me tell you something really interesting. Um, years past, I or went past that phase, and I went into a, a same similar denomination, and we sat down, and that morning, they said the Apostles' Creed, and I'm like, oh. first of all, memories, number one, but number two, they took on a whole new, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, and it took on a whole different meaning. Why? Because it was not a ritual anymore. This is what Paul is talking about. He's saying, look into your life. Are you doing something just because you've always done it? Or you think you're going to get God to be happy? You know, you said the Lord's Prayer, so he's saying, yes, she said the Lord's Prayer today. She's on her way to heaven. You know, <laughs> that kind of thing. He's saying, being very, very careful with that. Um, uh, also, another thing I'll never forget as a little girl, we would go to um, every summer, we would go to Montrose, Pennsylvania, where there was a Bible conference. And um, when we were there, there were certain behaviors on Sunday. And one of the behaviors was you wore a dress 
every Sunday. You didn't later on after church get into shorts or shorts. What in the world? No, you never wear shorts and pants and certainly didn't go to the movies on a Sunday. And we had these whole list of rules. And um, it's very interesting because guess what happened to the director of that, of that Bible conference? He got into a desperate situation of sin. Why? His focus was on ritual. This is how we do things. And because he was so focused on ritual, he wasn't focused on his relationship to the loving Lord Jesus and what he did for his sin. And so it skewed his perspective. Very interesting that um, this is kind of a theme of Paul's throughout his letters. In Colossians, the book right after Philippians, uh, the second chapter, verse 20 and 21, he says this. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world? Like, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. He's saying, look at your life and make sure that you're not being affected by that third kind of person that he mentions in that verse, men who do uh, 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 legalisms, the, one, the mutilators of the flesh, he is saying. Be careful of that. And then from there, he goes on, be on your outline to describe a true heart. He said, be careful of these, these in your life. We all have examples of those. And he said, now, let me describe to you a true heart. Look at verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He's describing the true heart in three ways. Number one, through empowered worship. Empowered worship. Now let me hasten to say, when we say worship, we immediately think of the music section of our, our worship service, don't we? Now that's part of it. But interestingly, in Romans 12:1, he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord, for this is your spiritual worship. Every phase of our life can be handed up and given to the Lord is our worship. And he's saying, in your worship, I want you to be empowered. I want you to be empowered. Look at the verse, the worship by the Spirit of God. So he's saying, allow your life, every phase of it, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Also, however, even the expression of praise through music we want empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's saying, you know, wh whether we, we love the casual, relaxed way of singing and praising, or if we like, you know, the formal and dignified pipe organs, and, um, you know, whatever it is that, that really is your venue for worship, or maybe when you're driving along and you have um, worship tapes in your car, or whatever it is, he's saying the key is in the spirit that is controlled by the holy spirit holy spirit speak to me through this time as i'm listening to this cd speak to me as i um you know am walk into a worship service and i'm i'm literally praising the lord through the music and through the um you know the praise time in our services as well as every phase of my life which is a an offering of worship. Um, I, and I, I think I laugh to myself as I look at, look out there, and some of you young moms who are racing around, I remember this very, very distinctly that the worst morning in the entire week was Sunday morning, right? 
and you're, you know, you get them off to school, no problem. They're not fighting over breakfast and, you know, um, where's my shoes and all that kind of thing. But Sunday morning, oh my goodness, get out of the way. It is the most, wow. And I would get to the worship service and I'd be going, oh my goodness, I can't even think about the Lord or singing a song to him or whatever. I, I'm so frustrated. Um, you know, Roby left his shoe up in his room and we had to turn the car around and go back on three miles to get that shoe back on. And it was just like, oh, and Sunday mornings were awful. <coughs> and I, I, I'll never, I was one day, I was having one of those times, I walked into the service, trying to be nice to everybody in the lobby, and, uh, and uh, I wanted to strangle somebody. And um, <laughs> I remember walking in and thinking, how do you cope with this? And all of a sudden, the Lord brought a memory into my mind about my mom. And we would come into the worship service, and she would sit down in the pew, and she would bow her head, and she'd sit there preparing her heart to go into worship, allowing the Holy Spirit to prepare her heart for worship. And I never forgot that. I, I, that, that was a turning point for me that, you know, I can come in here from the of getting a family to, to, to work and maybe arguing with your husband all the way and you're driving too fast and all, and all whatever. And then, but you get there and say, Lord, prepare my heart. Empower with the Holy Spirit. Do with me what you want me to do so that I can offer my worship, this part of my worship, <laughs> to you in a way that would honor you. I also then got another memory, and that was my dad, who was a pastor, and he would get up, and before he would pray, um, he would stop and just very prolonged. It was almost like, are you going to start, Daddy? I mean, all right. <laughs> He just stand there. And one day I asked him, I said, How come you're, why are you so quiet before you pray? He goes, Rosemary, I'm walking into the heavenly throne room. I am walking into the presence of the omnipotent, almighty, infinite creator God. We cannot handle that in a haphazard way. I don't know about you, but I will be having my mor morning quiet time or devotions or whatever you call it, and I'll be sitting there and just, you know, trying to focus on, the, on a verse and praying and everything. All of a sudden, I get a text, and I'm like, Ink! and, you know, and I hear a little noise, and I think, oh, that's an email. I better check. I'm, I want to know if my Amazon delivery is coming in today. <laughs> and I, I realized how absolutely insulting that was when I had ushered myself into the royal throne room and to get distracted by text. So I'm trying, hold me accountable, ask me next week how I did, okay? But I'm trying to unplug. When, I'm, when I walk into the presence of Jesus Christ and I'm distracted by Amazon, <laughs> what? Let's hold each other accountable about that. That it needs to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, because number two, <clears throat> worship is through the praise of Christ Jesus. The point of praise, whether it's a, an aspect of our life, um, our our spiritual worship, our you know um, our bodies, the living sacrifice, or whether it's literally praise music or whatever it is. Why are we doing it? For the glory of Jesus Christ. That verse again, and the and glory in Christ Jesus. Any worship 
that is acceptable to God will give glory to Jesus. Our actions, our expressions of worship, personal worship, whatever it is, in contrast to doing something just for the sake of doing a legal observance for its own sake. Then he goes on to describe the third characteristic. First, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Secondly, to glory in Jesus Christ, to give Jesus Christ the glory. And then um, he goes on to describe the third characteristic, number three, through the realization that we cannot save ourselves. The verse says this, put no confidence in the flesh. One who truly knows the Lord does not put any uh, faith in what I can do or what he or she can do, only in what God can do. In other words, eyes off of me and on the Lord. What I do in my life should not be a focus. Well, how did I do? How did that seem? What was a, how did it come across? It's not about me. It's on the Lord, on the Lord, on the Lord. Um, I, I was thinking about, as I was studying that, I've thought about a couple years ago, I was at a woman's conference in, uh, up in the middle of the state. A friend went with me. And after the conference, uh, we got out to the car, and I said, well, that was a bomb. And she said, yes, it was a bomb. And I realized that it wasn't dependent on how I felt about it. It wasn't about me, not eyes on me. I had to say, you know what, I didn't feel real comfortable. I feel like I really bombed out on that one, but you know what, I... It doesn't matter. I just have to do what I'm called to do. I need to just do my thing and, and give it up to the Lord. And then it's going to be a bomb in the sense that I have been able to get my eyes off of me and put my eyes up here. Interestingly, a couple weeks later, I got a letter from the woman who put the conference together, and she said, so-and-so came to know the Lord. I was like, what? With what I said it did? Eyes on him, eyes on him. But anyway, we need to be so careful that we don't put our focus on ourselves. In humility, realizing my creatureliness, my propensity for sin, my neediness, and that we are helpless in ourselves as we see God and his holiness. And remember what Jesus did to bridge that gap between a holy God and us. It's not about us and how we do this thing. It's all about focusing on Jesus and realizing how desperately we needy we are in every phase of our life as we go through our lives. Then, C, he then goes ahead and uses himself as an illustration. Look at verses 4 through 6. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Wow, does that sound like he's bragging or what? You know what he's saying? He is saying, not in a bragging way, but to help the Philippians and us understand how we are not to focus on the wrong things. Instead, Focus on what truly counts. He is saying, you know what? If there was anybody who had his life lined up, it's me. Look what I had in my life. He says, I had everything lined up. Number one, he says, it's not through rituals. 
It was not through the fact that my parents did all the right things on the right days and, you know, all that, circumcised eighth day, blah, 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 not going through the exact all right things at, at the right time. Number two, it was not pedigree. He was, a, he was a, an Israelite. Israelite, what, how did he say it? Um, people of Israel. He, he's saying, I'm, you know, Israel was God's chosen people. I was part of God's chosen people. Not only God's chosen people, oh my goodness, I was a part of the tribe of Benjamin. Whoa, one of the prestigious tribes. And he's saying, uh, so it's not pedigree. It's not also through our own efforts, he is saying, number three. He was an example of zealously keeping the law of Pharisees. I heard one of the pastors at West Pines a couple weeks ago talking about the Pharisees and how they deeply, deeply studied the law. And they studied the law to find out all the things that were required of God, and they would meticulously follow them. Like keeping the Sabbath. Oh, my goodness, you remember the stories about that. You know, you couldn't even... Um, get a pitcher of water on a Sunday. Oof, that's wrong. And so <clears throat> they meticulously found out what the laws were so that they could meticulously follow them so that God would not have to forgive them. They were righteous. And so he is saying, you know what? You want somebody righteous? Let me tell you, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisee. I was such a Pharisee that I was even going after the church to make sure that that did not you know, proceed further. He said, if anybody could have confidence in his efforts, it was me, hard worker, zealous, he had it all. Money, position, Pharisee of Pharisees, tribe of Benjamin, all of these things. He said, from the world standpoint, I had everything totally lined up. But guess what? It didn't matter at all. Don't think um, that what I have figured out in my life is what's really important. It's all nothing. We'll get to that in just a minute. But don't you think that God, we were talking about this in, in our group leader meeting, don't you think that God allowed all of those things to fall in place in Paul's life so he could say, none of it matters. God orders our lives. He ordered Paul's life. He had everything come together. He showed him how to be a Pharisee of Pharisee. He, you know, he made sure he was in the tribe of Benjamin. And on and on it goes. God ordered that so that he could, uh, Paul could see how meaningless it was when he came to know the Lord. So next on your outline, Paul presents a strong conclusion. Jim Elliot, the famous martyr, said this, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Isn't that profound? I'm not going to, he says, I'm not going to cling to things that are going to be gone anyway, goodness sake, even his life, <laughs> to lose eternal life. I'm not going to hold on to things that are going to be wood, hay, and stubble, material things and, you know, um, all the things that, that we think can think are so important. He says, I'm not going to hold on to those to lose the most important thing of all, which is my relationship with Jesus Christ, is what he is saying. And that's kind of what Paul is saying here in verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. A on your outline, everything is a loss compared to a relationship with Jesus. When he met Jesus, he wrote all of it off as loss. 
Loss in the original language means detriment. Those things were really holding me back, he's saying. They were a detriment in my life, he said. Number one, human accomplishments fade. All of his family background, his education, orthodoxy, his personal righteousness, quote unquote, all of that was on the bottom of the heap, number two, because now Jesus illuminates. Jesus was on the top. And, uh, the, and the man who had everything, humanly speaking, when he met Jesus, all of it faded away into unimportance. Jesus and Jesus alone can totally provide the needs of our life. Jesus and Jesus alone can give us what is meaningful and lasting. That is what Paul had discovered. I've told this story a thousand times. I'm going to tell it again because it's one of my favorites. But um, <clears throat> years ago, <clears throat> I was involved in a um, Sunday morning small group, Bible study small group. And it was in the day when we were very careful about how we dressed. And we probably even had heels on. And, you know, we check out each other. Oh, is that a new dress that you got? Where'd you get that? Oh, I got that at Steinies. Oh, that's just so Sunday. I like it. It's just really pretty. And we just, you know, we, we loved coming together and admiring each other. And, and we did study the Bible and all that. We did. I promise. And one day we were sitting there um, studying the Bible and admiring, you know, admiring each other's heels. I have booties on today, by the way. Is that... <laughs> Anyway, <clears throat> and the door opens, and in walks this woman in cutoffs and a T-shirt and sneakers. And we all kind of go, <gasps> And then she made it worse by saying, Hi, I'm a truck driver, and I happen to be at T.Y. Park, and um, I, I was just looking for a place that I could find some women to study the Bible with, and I heard about this. And she comes in, and we're kind of like, okay, then. And um, looking at each other and her and everything, can you tell what great attitudes we had? And um, so then she began to tell us her story. And she said, you know, I, w I was born in California. My parents were hippies, and I lived in this hippie commune and everything. Got kind of crazy, and um, I, I don't know how I got involved in trucks, but, you know, I'm a truck driver now, and blah, blah, blah. And um, she said, and then and just have a fun life, doing all this fun stuff, and, you know, not tied down to anything or anybody. And she said, and I, but I had this one friend who started talking about Jesus, and, and she kept saying, um, you know, you need to give your heart to Jesus. And she said, oh, I'm not doing that. I've got my friend. What would they think on Saturday night when we're going to go out and have a fun evening? And I'm saying, oh, you know, I'm going to church first thing in the morning, so I'm not going. She said, I don't want any of that stuff. My life is too fun. And um, so she, she said, I kept turning her down. And then one th day I was going through kind of a difficult time, and she said, you know what? I really need to find out about this Jesus. She said, I got down on my knees. By this time, we're all like, um, out of guilt, I think. But anyway, and um, she said, um, I, I knelt down by my bed, and I asked Jesus to forgive me, and I said, I want a relationship with you. I want to know what it's like to be a follower of Jesus. And she said, from that moment on, I could not believe how amazing life was 
How did I think, quote unquote, this is exactly what she said, how did I think that I was giving up anything to follow Jesus? Wow. Guess what her name was? Heaven Lee. Heavenly. So ever since then, we've all been scratching our cheeks saying, hmm, maybe an angel. Maybe she was. Or maybe she was a truck driver. Uh, you know, I don't know. But wow. How did I think I'd be giving up anything to follow Jesus? Is that profound? Wow. That's why I tell that story over and over again. Are you sick of hearing it? Okay, good. Good, because I'm not sick of telling it. Anyway, B, everything is gained in a relationship with Jesus. That's what Heaven Lee was trying to tell us. Uh, Paul sums it up in the next verse. Look at verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Number one, because Jesus is in control. And everything that Paul has just described, um, Jesus is in control. Think of of our lives right now. You know, uh, as we think about the cost of living has gone up in the last months, the the, uh, job market has increased, there are all kinds of things that are happening within our culture that are supposed to bring us joy and, and thrill. But guess what? This is perhaps one of the angriest road rage, dysfunctional families, time, suicide levels up, time in, in, in the history of our country, when everything seems to be going better, and yet everything is not going better because the focus is on the wrong thing. Paul is saying that joy and contentment will happen when Jesus is in control, when we have, small a, a knowledge of Christ Jesus. When we have a personal relationship and knowledge of Jesus, then be Jesus the Lord will have ownership and authority. Notice that in verse 8, Paul says, Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, the word Lord in the original language is a term of control, owner, dominance, and authority. He's saying, when I allowed the Lord Jesus to have dominance, authority, control, ownership, in my life, then everything came together. Then I was able to begin to understand what joy was like in circumstances. Paul is saying that Jesus, his Lord, was in control of his life. And as a result, alt number two, earthly values fade. In fact, he uses a very graphic language as he's describing how everything else is meaningless in comparison to knowing Jesus. He counts it as rubbish, he says. Rubbish in the original language, is anything you'd throw outside to those, those scary dogs out there. <laughs> that was rubbish. We throw it outside. It's not needed. The King James Version, if you have that version, it actually calls it dung. Wow. Okay. In other words, utter uselessness of all his or any human accomplishments could be outside of Jesus. Then we have, um, when we have that kind of perspective, three, heavenly values emerge. Look at verse 9. And be found in him, not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, which, uh, but that, that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. All the things that Paul did right 
before he met Jesus, gained him nothing. All his pedigree, all his righteousness, quote, unquote, all of that brought him nothing. But instead, now that he was trusting Jesus as Lord in faith to give him righteousness, he now was free. How freeing. Um, not having to please God all the time. Oh, goodness, should I do that or shouldn't I? And all that, you know, just releasing our lives to Jesus and saying, I want to please you, Lord Jesus. Nothing I can personally do will impress a righteous God. C, everything becomes new through the fellowship with Jesus. Look at verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings and become like him in his death. Number one, knowing Jesus. The word here, know, is a very intimate uh, word. It's used for between in the relationship between a husband and, and wife. Adam knew Eve. It's a very intimate word. Many people know about him, but we're being called to know him deeply, personally, intimately, as Paul is suggesting, making him the Lord of his life. I think there's a link there to that verse 8. And the more we yield to the Lord, his lordship in our lives, the more intimately we know him, the more we desire him to become Lord of our lives. It's cyclical. The more we know him, the more we allow him uh, into our lives, the more we want him into our lives. And, the, and then the more we want him into his, our lives, the more we want to act the way he wants us to act. It's a, it's a cyclical thing. Am I working on surrendering it daily in my life of knowing who is in control? Number two, knowing resurrection power. <clears throat> when we are growing in our knowledge of Jesus and desiring him more and more in our life, uh, and have a more of an intimate relationship with him, then we don't we have his victory in those times when we're faced with a decision that we need to make, like looking at that the dessert pile out there on the tables. Just kidding. Emptying me of me, prayerfully saying, Jesus, I want to become more and more like you and less and less about me. Then I can experience filling me with him. As I empty me of me, then I can fill me with him. As we relinquish ourselves to him, we can experience being more and more like Jesus. Isn't that freeing? Amen. Isn't that a freeing thought? What a place to begin the new year. Lord, I want less of me, more of you. I want to release to you. Then finally, uh, Paul presents the ultimate gift. Oh, verse 11, by what means, by and that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He's talking about through that desire to know Jesus, then I can uh, experience being saved. I can experience the resurrection of the dead. I can look forward to my times with the Lord Jesus eternally. And I can see his hand in my life day by day by day as he teaches me more and more about joy in my circumstance. That's what Heavenly was saying. How did I think? I was giving up anything when I came to know the Lord. Wow. Warren Wearsby said, yes, Paul gained far more than he lost. In fact, the gains were so thrilling that Paul considered all other things nothing but garbage in comparison. No wonder he had joy. Do you remember the name George Beverly Shea? Famous um, praise and worship leader with Billy Graham. And when I say that name, this song comes to my mind right away. I'd rather have anything. I'd rather have Jesus 
than anything. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than fortune or fame. I'd rather to be a king of a vast domain. I'd rather have Jesus than everything. That is what our song needs to be. Let's